0: Hello, and welcome to the Ever Widening Circles podcast designed to give you more joy, less fear and no end to the evidence that a bright future is still possible. This podcast will give you a fresh perspective on the world around you. We want you to hear from thought leaders in a wave of progress and goodness well underway around the globe that we're calling the conspiracy of goodness, conspiracy because it's so well hidden. Being buried by the chaos and noise on the internet right now that has so many of us really in overwhelmed (laughs) state. But that's not what this podcast is about. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, we have been changing the negative dialogue about our times by celebrating the insight and innovation that prove it is still an amazing world. Despite the view that we see on the internet, which I am here to tell you is only a slice of reality. Along the way, over the last six, seven years, I've been having some really incredible conversations with thought leaders that I'm now sharing with you. And today I'm going to chat with two people from this wave of goodness and progress that we are seeing at Everwinding Circles that I think epitomizes what's possible as we go forward. Um, in The Conspiracy of Goodness, I talk about the fact that in our world, change is slow. Sometimes it's very quiet. And most of the time, it begins with ordinary people just looking at what's going on in society and asking themselves, what can I do to help? <laughs> One of the great—I wish—I wish I could remember what thought, thought leader it was—turned me on to this notion that some people see something that, that needs attention and, and they say, "Gee, that's terrible," and other people who see something that needs attention say, "Gee, that's terrible. I need to do something about that." And we're going to talk to somebody who is definitely in that second category today. Today, I'm going to chat with Mike Kelly also known as Merman Mike. And Mike, I want you to introduce yourself because I could never do uh, do justice to the little bit of wonder that you're bringing into the world. Take it away.
1: No problem. It's uh, Mike Pelly, but uh, all good. Um, so I go by Merman Mike on the internet, I guess you would say. I have a YouTube channel an Instagram and a Facebook and What I love to do is I go to the local lakes and the rivers, I try to return valuables back to their owners, search for any sort of other lost treasures that might be down there, and always get all the trash while I'm down there as well, because I thoroughly believe you can't just go for the treasures, you have to get the trash too. It's just another way of giving back because I just have so much fun while I'm down there.
0: Okay, so you're you're a diver by passion and by trade too? Is that what you actually do in your working life?
1: No, I'm actually an estimator for a construction company in my working life, and I've always just had this deep-seated fascination for underwater exploration, and the fact that we know less about the bottom of our oceans than we do about the surface of the moon always kind of just, like, boggled my mind a little bit of, like, how are we searching other planets when we haven't even gotten done searching our own?
0: You are so right about that. Go (laughs) ahead.
1: So like I was watching the YouTuber on the East coast, his name's D almighty and he's got millions upon millions of subscribers and it, he just looked like he was having so much fun, but he also found a way to do that while making an impact and helping other people. And I thought, well, I don't, I have never seen somebody around here that does that. So maybe I could do that. And the more I kind of looked at it, I was like, well, why can't I do that? And so I just kind of, went sprinting for it at full speed and ended up getting in the water and certified within a month. And I've been doing it for a little bit over a year. And now I just can't imagine doing anything else in my life.
0: Oh, that is such a great story. So I admit thought maybe you'd been a diver your whole life.
1: No, it's a, I was supposed to get certified when I was 15. And unfortunately I ended up breaking my collarbone being a kid and skateboarding like two days before the class started. And so I wasn't able to get certified. Every summer after that, I kept finding more excuses of, "Oh, well, I'll just do that next summer," or "I'm too busy this summer; I'll do that next summer." And last summer, I don't know what it was, but I was watching these videos, and I almost said that to myself, like, "Well, next summer I'm going to go for that." And I was like, well, "Why next summer?" <laughs> I just I pulled the trigger, and I've never been so happy about a decision in my life. I it just it's changed my life completely, and I'm I'm so happy I found it.
0: This is so that's such a great story. I just had told myself a story about how you wound up doing here. Okay, so it changed your life. But the number one thing I saw about you, by the way, if anybody wants to just get a quick and very well done snippet of what Mike's work is about, there's a CBS News. If they look, if you look up CBS News and put in CBS News Merman Mike, You're gonna pop up with a really wonderful little video that is just the joy that runs through that video is just palpable. And one of the things you say near the end is so beautiful. You talk about gratitude and how this work has brought out that so much the goodness that you see in others. Tell us all about that part of the equation.
1: When I'm out there, it just people aren't expecting someone to go out of their way. Because I don't charge people money. I, I like doing this because I'm a very empathetic person. And if somebody had a skill set to help me out, find something with irreplaceable value, I mean, that would mean the world to me. And the fact that I can do that for other people's, it just, it fills my heart. And I I can almost not describe it with words of how it makes me feel. And I got addicted the first valuable that I was able to give back to the owner and just seeing her face light up with joy. I was able to return a camera that had over 2000 pictures including pictures of her and her mother and her mother had since passed away. She didn't have those pictures anywhere else. And it was just, I, I, I was almost in tears. She was, and it was just, it was one of the most sentimental things I've been able to return back to someone. And ever since then, it's just been a just hunt for the next valuable. I'm able to return and the next smile. I'm able to put on someone else's face. And it's just, it brings back such the good in humanity because everybody that I'm meeting is so thankful and so grateful that there's just somebody that came out and wanted to help just the help. And I just, I absolutely love that.
0: This is quintessential I think to the next era for, for us with that I think is actually opening and you're a thought leader in it. That's for sure. I think one of the things I'd love to get your opinion on this, you know, right away when the pandemic hit, we were all sort of forced to push the pause button in our lives. And I don't know if we've all forgotten, but I was writing a book during that time. I had just begun a book and I quickly switched it over to something called to the title of the book now is happiness is an option. Because I noticed immediately when the pandemic hit the first two weeks that people started to celebrate a lot, that they were doing a lot more with gratitude in their lives. That first two weeks we were kind of walking around stunned at the changes in our lives. But then that second two weeks, you couldn't turn on a radio or news program without them, the reporters being grateful for, you know, frontline workers and so forth, you know, What you're talking about is a kind of human to human connection that you, had you ever felt that in your life through other ways? I, I really
1: hadn't. I mean, I used to teach skiing and snowboarding and it was like a way that I could kind of pass on my passion of skiing and snowboarding on to little kids. And that was a really good feeling as well. But I was also there being paid. It was a job. It was I mean, there was good days and bad days and all that, but I I hadn't ever felt a way that I could just do something out of the kindness of my heart for someone and have such a huge impact while doing it. Because for me, I'm having fun anytime my head goes under the water. I'm having an absolute blast. So in my mind, if I can make somebody else's day, week, month, or year by being able to return something while I'm down there, it's a win-win for everybody. And that's what I absolutely love about it.
0: That is so true. I mean... This is the essence of where we're at with becoming helpers in this world, right? Like I think we're all looking for the helpers to show up. The loudest voices are not going to have as much influence as they used to.
1: Yeah. Because I don't know. It's, it's so easy to help somebody, but it's also so easy just to say, Oh, that doesn't directly impact me or something like that. And it doesn't always need to, because it's just, uh, the impact is that feeling you get afterwards of knowing that you got to be that person's little bit of hope, you know? And I, I love that.
0: That is so, so true. Okay. So give us a couple of a very cool stories that come to mind. Like what keeps you getting in the water again? Okay. Tell Tell me a few of the stories.
1: So there's, of course, all the valuables I've been able to return are my absolute favorite. I've been able to return several wedding rings and engagement rings, the camera that I told you about. I've been able to return a bunch of GoPros and drones, and those usually go to like photographers or videographers, that those memories really just mean the world to them. And, uh, but there's been some really other cool finds too. Like I found a wagon or not a wagon wheel, a model T Ford wheel that was over a hundred years old. It's got 12 wooden spokes, found a voodoo doll that was taped around a rock at the bottom of the river. That was terrifying. (laughs) Uh, I brought that home. And then a week later ended up getting in a car accident that totaled my truck. My (laughs) girlfriend blames the voodoo doll, but it's still here in the treasure room. (laughs) I figured all the bad voodoo must've worn off by that. So.
0: So you've got a little place called the treasure area?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've got a treasure room in my house that basically anything that I can't return back to its owner, I try to basically keep it in the treasure room. One, everything in here has a memory for me of it brings back that dive, everything else I found during that dive. But two... I have that like little hope that somebody's gonna see my video in like a year or two years and see that valuable and be like, that's mine, like that was my great grandpa's that I used to have and or whatever the story might be, and I'll still have that valuable. So I'm either gonna be uh needing a bigger house or the coolest guy on hoarders in five years.
0: that is uh, that is just an amazing side angle that that even when you can't do good immediately you're gonna hold on to it just in case
1: well it's funny because uh, i had a pair of keys that i found in the river and keys are one thing that like i get kind of sad about finding because one you know that person had a horrible end of their day because they lost their keys in the river and then two I can't really return keys usually because there's not much to go off of. I usually become like a private investigator when I find something. And if there's a way, I'll go above and beyond to try to return it. But keys are one of those things that it's really a hit and miss. If there's like a gym card or something on there, I might be able to. But other than that, there's very little ways. And I was returning a engagement ring. I was going to search for an engagement ring for someone else when I got a phone call from my brother who was talking to his coworker who they were talking about what I did and whatnot. And his coworker was like, oh my God, I actually lost a pair of keys in the river. That's crazy that he goes around and does that. That's really cool. And uh, my brother's like, well, what kind of keys? Because he comes through my treasure room a lot and looks at things. And he described them. And my brother kind of lit up. And he's like, oh, my God. I think my brother might actually have those in his treasure room. And uh, the next thing. Yeah. So he called me. And he was describing the keys. And sure enough, I had his Ram truck keys in my treasure room and got to return those like two weeks after the dive. It was super, super cool.
0: That is That is lovely. You know, I always talk about, I've had a lot of life experiences where serendipity was part of the equation. And that I bet you, you run into a fair amount of serendipity where one thing leads to another or not even trying two things connect.
1: Oh, absolutely. I uh, returned an Apple watch to a girl. The next day, her friend ended up losing an Apple watch near the same spot. And found me because she saw her friend post a story with me finding her Apple Watch in it. And that's how she knew that I existed. And she called me and she's like, okay, so I know this is going to kind of sound silly, but I lost an Apple Watch in the exact same spot. (laughs) Uh, Ended up going to get her just from a friend she had through high school on her page that ended up having my story on it.
0: Yeah. So that's part of the conspiracy of goodness of our times too, is I think people's brains right now are searching for reasons to light up, searching for reasons to connect, searching for reasons to, to be a good neighbor or a good friend or whatever. And there's a perfect example is that we can really get bogged down by the negativity that we see on social media, but our brains are seeing so much goodness. Um,
1: uh, it's kind of cool getting to be like that battle against the darkness and trying to just provide as many smiles as possible in this time. And yeah, there are extremely serious matters and whatnot, but like you've said earlier that there's enough light shining on all those extremely serious and dark matters that there also needs to be the good shining through to help exactly realize there's still hope. It's yeah, there's some clouds, but there's going to be sun.
0: (laughs) And people do, people do, do not take you for granted either. I've seen a few, you got to look at some of Mike's great (laughs) videos. Who's doing his video. Do you just have a friend with an iPhone that's taking some of those videos for you?
1: Um, So usually I have my girlfriend out with me. She'll be on top of the boat trying to make sure one, nobody snags me on the end of their fishing line, but uh, two to get the nice secondary shots as well. And uh, yeah, I just, I absolutely love it. And the, the gratitude from people, it, It warms my heart to no end the comments that will come in from complete strangers. There'll be like an entire paragraph or multiple paragraphs from complete strangers that just want to let me know how much that 15 minutes just absolutely brightened their day because they were having a down day. And then they saw my contagious enthusiasm and they just they said I couldn't stop smiling the entire time.
0: Okay. Contagious enthusiasm. This is it. <laughs> That's what we all need to be spreading. I always say that goodness can be viral too. Absolutely. Goodness can be viral too. We we get to decide what to give our attention to. That's the one thing that no one can take away from us. Is our ability to choose what we give our attention to. And I want people to give their attention in contagious enthusiasm to somebody doing the kind of things that you do. This is so great. And I, I hope that we can talk to you again sometime and dig a little bit deeper. But one of the things I want to point out that you're doing and say thank you for, for the world is that you are a reminder that we can come up with win-win-win solutions You are feeding a passion that you have for the ocean or for the, for water and under, under the underwater. You're doing something that is no end to a gift to others. And you're also a teacher because you've taught us that we can probably look a little deeper at our own lives and our own passions and find something that we can do to make the world a better place too. Right. It could be anything. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. So I always close by asking people, you know, our tagline is, our our website is everwideningcircles.com. And our tagline is, it is still an amazing world. So I always like to ask my guests near the end, if there's something daily or something that you can think of in your life that proves it's still an amazing world to you.
1: I would say the people that help me find other people to return those valuables to, like one when i post something on my page and they just share it out of the kindness of their heart it's not helping them at all it's not benefiting them but they want to help be a part of that good feeling of finding the owner and that to me is just it shows the good in people still out there and that people are still just thriving to make other people's days as well
0: that is precious that is precious you know the, the the words conspiracy of goodness come from a wonderful story from World War II where there was this little town in Le Chambon, France that managed to save 3,500 Jews from the Nazis, um, hit them for years at great, at great risk to themselves, this little village of people did. And there was a rabbi giving a talk about World War II in the 1980s that he called the conspiracy of evil, title of his talk. And he told a story about an older man standing up at the end of his talk and saying, how come it is that everyone talks about the conspiracy of evil that was World War II? He said, I hid a family of Jews in my house. Do you think I could have hid them there for two years without the active help of the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbor? No, it was a conspiracy of goodness.
1: That sent chills through my body.
0: I know. I I have chills every time I tell that story. I've got them on my arms right now, too. So that's exactly what you're talking about. You know, you're talking about that middleman who helps you connect, you know, something that's out there in the universe that needs to have its way back to its owner that's going to bring no end to joy. And that is what the milkman and the mailman and the neighbor did, right? They they didn't have to save the family themselves, but they were instrumental in making sure that family stayed alive. And we can do that, all of us, in large and small ways in our lives. And I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you so much. I literally have goosebumps all over that right now. <laughs> <after. laughs>
0: okay. Well, I, I tell you, I've written a book all about that story. It's called Happiness is an Option. And I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I really want you to see yourself in that book because you're there. You're definitely there. Thank you so, so much, Mike.
1: Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure getting to talk with you.
0: All right. Put Merman Mike, right? Yes, ma'am. In, the, in the Google search, and you're going to find out more of uh, goodness than you ever thought you'd find in this category. Have a great day. I'm going to take a break from our chat to tell you about a fantastic company, Boone Supply. Boone Supply has a line of really high quality and responsibly sourced water bottles, kitchen reusables, grocery bags, and more. But here's the truly wonderful part. With Boon Supply, you can shop by cause. Just select the cause you want to support at the bottom of their homepage, whether it be emergency relief, animals and nature, equality and justice, or many, many more, and they will donate a whopping 40% of your purchase price to the cause you select. They've donated over, wait for it, $100 million to date. So you help the environment with eco-friendly products while also giving to important causes. Everwidening Circles is a Boon Supply affiliate, which means that when you purchase from Boon Supply by using the link in the show notes below, we get a small commission from your purchase, and that really means the world to us. And you're going to be supporting some fantastic causes at the same time. This is truly a win-win-win situation, and all you have to do is purchase from Boon Supply by using the link down below in your show notes. Thank you so much. Hi, we're back. And now we're going to continue this journey through the landscape of people doing good things with what they can do in their neighborhoods and lives. So we're going to be joined by Timothy and Nicole from Detroit Hives. They have an extraordinary thing they're doing to make the world a better place. Let's go to that interview. Hello, and welcome to the Ever-Widening Circles podcast, designed to give you more joy, less fear, and no end to the evidence that a bright future is possible. We want you to hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress well underway around the globe that almost no one knows about. This podcast will give you hope for the future and help you take control of your life online. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Winding Circles. Since 2014, we've been restoring people's hope in the future by writing thousands of articles about insight and innovation going uncelebrated in our world. And along the way, we've been having incredible conversations with thought leaders that we're now sharing. Today, we're gonna meet Timothy Paul and Nicole Lindsay from Detroit Hives. Now, at Everwinding Circles, we first got to know Timothy and Nicole when we wrote an article about their work a little more more than a year ago, and here's why we thought their work needed to be a story that the world knew about. While most people would look at Detroit's recent history and, and think about the empty lots brimming with unkempt weeds, they looked at all those weeds, which are actually wildflowers, and thought of possibility. Timothy and Nicole are not like most people. Together, they looked at the landscape and saw that they could possibly reclaim vacant lots in Detroit and turn them into a haven for honeybees. And with the bees come many, many other wonders and an awakening of an eye for community potential. So PS, who knows? that how this story might inspire others who might have their own passions that they can apply to their communities. So welcome Timothy and Nicole. Uh, I like my guests to do to do a bit of the introductions too because I'm sure I haven't covered nearly all that you guys are up to. Tell me tell me what you're up to and welcome. Thank
2: you for having us. We're definitely it's definitely a blessing to be here. So um We've been busy as a bee. Despite what's been going on in the world, we've been able to successfully complete one of our newest projects. It's the it's called the Perennial Propagator. And it's a project where we're transforming a vacant lot basically into a pollinator habitat to help bring the community together but also support bee conservation.
0: So it's all about how bees are a part of our landscape, urban and rural, and how they are part of what makes Food connections and education connections and pride in neighborhoods and all that. So, tell <laughs> tell me how D- Detroit Hives started. I I know you and I got to talk before this interview for a few minutes, but it kind of started with your discovering that bees and honey had a had a medicinal property, and then you were off and running, right?
2: Absolutely. So it's a little bit more to that, but we're not. I know for the second. It's a very long story that we're going to try to make it short, but basically we came across an article where the city currently had 90,000 vacant lots and the city didn't have any funding to take care of these vacant spaces. Um, So they were looking for residents or nonprofit organizations or community block associations to buy back some of those vacant lots to help address issues in our community around crime, blight, or just uh, overall the value of our neighborhood. So Nicole and I saw this as an opportunity to give back. You know, we figured we can do something in place of a vacant lot to help rebuild our communities. We thought about a peacock farm, outdoor photography studio, um, a campsite, and of course, a community garden. And all of these were great ideas. But in actuality, we just didn't act on, on these ideas. There, it was, there was no driving force there for us to get it going. Until I got sick with a cough and cold and learned about local raw honey. From there, you know, I, I began to learn how honeybees made honey and began to learn so much of the importance of consuming local raw honey that Nicole made a, a suggestion of let's transform a vacant lot into a bee farm opposed to the other many ideas we have thought of. And that was the fuel and the idea and the power that we needed to, to start Detroit Hives.
0: Wow. And you guys are in really deep now. Well, I'm looking at this and saying to myself, hey, these are times when this is broadcast, there is global pandemic going on. These are times when people are looking at what's possible all around them and seeing a lot of roadblocks. But you guys, it sounds like did the opposite. You must have started small, which is a great story, I'm sure, for other people who might have notions floating around in the back of their mind. Tell us what your very first step was to get this thing going.
2: I think the very first step was we wanted to share with others our idea was. So we needed funding and we knew about a, a platform called Detroit Soup. It was a crowdfunding organization that allows others to share their ideas for funding. So that was our very first step was is sharing this and trying to receive some funding to get this started. And we did so. And you did. Yeah, we did. So and we won $1,600. Now we really had to go into our second step and that can be somewhat, you know, a little bit challenging because this is all something Nicole and I never had experienced, you know, growing up or living in the city of Detroit. So we just had to get creative and find, you know, resources and, and educational programs and courses to take in beekeeping.
0: All right. So you were truly, now just to give people the the courage, you you really were starting from scratch on this. Absolutely. You didn't have some grandfather waiting in the wings who could teach you all that you needed to know. Not at all.
3: No, not at all. (laughs) <laughs> so google so, became my friend
0: <laughs> google became your friend and that is so true of almost all the great innovators that we talked to on widening circles especially people in communities so tell me what that looks like i'm sure in the beginning you needed to, to you needed a group of people to help you through this or do you remember the stories of people who were the second or third person to come online and start giving you some hope that
2: you could put this together? Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure Nicole and I would have some ideas going back and forth, but I think the first step was the choice suit. When we pitched this idea, it was in front of hundreds of people. And many people, they loved this idea so much that they voted on it and they supported it, but they also had continued support. So they wanted to help us get a fence. They wanted to help us with some other connections of resources and it was really, you know, that's where the initial help and support came from. It's from uh-huh. Detroit Zoo and those people that attended.
0: Okay. So the second thing, it sounds like you were really cognizant about looking for a community of people who might care, right, to get started with, right? Like, I'm sure the zoo has some kind of parenting program that happens at the zoo.
2: Right. I think the main thing is that that concern was already out there. Mm. There was a concern with vacant lots and there was so so much of a need for residents to fix up these vacant lots that, you know, it wasn't that we were looking for people to care about, you know, reactivating vacant spaces or to care about food insecurity. That need was ar- already there. I think it was more so trying to educate the people on the importance of bees and how bees to play a huge role in urban development.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, so it it was it was developing that like a, almost a bigger narrative that was that was going to leave a lot of people with a lot of possibilities. So tell me about the side things that have come out of this. I know that you have a fabulous website. Can people find that at detroithives.org?
2: Yeah, our website is at, you know, www.detroithives.org. Also, people can join the Hive um, on our social media outlets at Detroit Hives as well.
0: Okay, so where I was going with that is is that there's lots and lots of ways people can help you, right? There's, uh, you and I had a small conversation before the recording. You know, you you need volunteers, but not necessarily to get their hands dirty. Tell us about people how people can help your project.
2: Right, there's a lot going on and of course in spite of COVID, people are doing things virtually and remotely. So we are in need of volunteers that can specifically help us out with fundraising or fund development or even pertaining to legal or accounting. There's ways that people can still support us from the safety of their home, you know, whether it's they're local in Michigan or they're somewhere, you know, across the United States. Wow.
0: Wow. 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 Okay. So that is a really nice connection for people is that if you're, if you've got professional skills or business skills that you can contribute to this sort of project, oh gosh, I'm sure you would love someone to arrive on the scene and help you with like things like public policy, right?
2: Um, Absolutely. Are
0: there legal and dealing with local jurisdictions that you have to deal with.
2: So, yeah, that's one way that we want to, expand our mission is to be advocacy. We're looking to create policies and we're looking for to get political with this endeavor, to share this responsibility with the City of Detroit or those that pertain that to municipalities. So and we're looking for those that specialize in environmental policy. We recently um, worked with the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy along with the City of Detroit to pass a resolution to recognize Detroit as official B-City. But because of COVID and just with so much going on, that amendment, I mean that resolution needs to be amended and it's just it's just really been hard to get in contact with the city. So we're looking for someone that specializes in environmental, you know, policy that can help lobby for us to get this resolution re amended to make Detroit an official B city.
0: Okay, so there is such a good point that we that we ordinary people don't recognize about how we can help projects like yours is that sure I, I'm sure you need people to help with fundraising and the actual you know nuts and bolts of gardening but there are these these side issues that can be super super helpful to you guys that can be done during these times too so I, I hope people will keep that in mind. Tell me about your success because this is all, this project's only been around for three years and I understand you guys now have 13 locations.
2: Absolutely. So we started with our first project, the East Warren Apiary, and that's where we transformed our very first vacant lot into an outdoor learning space, an educational hub, a place where bees can thrive. From there, we've been able to successfully expand in 13 locations, but not just through our vacant lots. We found ways to partner with local schools and also community gardens to share the responsibility of sustainability.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that sustainability part is the real the real question. You know, how can you create a system here that keeps on going, long just growing and growing? Because obviously, it affects your whole community. Tell me about the parks, community gardens, schools, and and some of the partnerships you guys have. Yeah, so people don't you know, people would think maybe about a project like yours and say, oh, gee, I'll well, go to their website and volunteer. I i love to garden or what have you, but it's much bigger than that, isn't it? Tell me about the partnership part of it.
3: Yeah. So the partnership part of it, you know, we can't do it all by ourselves and we want to help connect with other people in our city who are doing great things as well. So like one of our organizations that we connect with is Peace Tree Parks, their community organization, and they help you know provide food for the local community and also actually help people start community start gardens within their own backyards so what great way for us to connect with them is to pair our bees with their garden so anytime you have bees and together with the garden you're going to see an increase in your yield of uh, produce and production so we want to make sure that you know they can give as many fruits and vegetables to the community as possible so that was one great organization that that was just no-brainer to connect with.
2: Outside of that, we've been also able to partner with com- um, or businesses and organizations like the Detroit Business Foundation. And we partner with them to create educational programming at one of their local parks in Palmer, uh, I'm sorry, Pinkery Park. And we work with them on several days to provide B education to the local community. Outside of that, another partnership is with Gleaners Community Food Bank, hosting hives at their site to help promote food security and food populations for more for people in the community as well.
3: And then another part of partnering, well, I'm sorry, another organization that we partner with is for resource and engagement center where we have three hives at their location. And that location is special because it's connected with the school and they do tons of programming um, with the community. So, what we've done is had honey tastings, we've provided honey bee education with the children in the community there.
0: Wow. Now, I bet your children find this all a bit awesome. Like, isn't there a lot of wonder in bees and what you're teaching kids?
3: Yeah, absolutely. The um, You know, sometimes at first you get a, a, a couple of students or youth who are scared. But that's, you know, through time and then with their parents being afraid. And then you also have the real little children who are like excited to learn everything. So there's no fear there. And so there's no no barrier. But, you know, we still love educating them all because there's so many fascinating things, like you said, about honeybees and it's even more exciting for them when I get to actually put on a beekeeping suit, oh, yeah. and so actually getting the, the hands-on experience. So, you know, at our Eastmore Apiary, we've hosted so many tours with schools that came out and done field trips uh, at our locations, and so just to have them have that up-close experience with it, you know, for those who do fear, that fear transforms into love because after the education and teaching them how they're so important and how they're so fascinating. um, That fear just goes away. And then they're so in tune with it that they tell, you know, family, friends, cousins, classmates. We've had, um, it was a school from uh, West Bloomfield come out and, oh, I can't believe the school right now. Wilbur School. Wilbur School come out and visit us. And the first class was a class of fourth graders. And they were talking about it so much that the fifth grade class was like, oh, we have to schedule a tour to come out there too. So, you know, it's just that excitement, them tell, telling their parents. And so, you know, it's
2: just spreading that knowledge. Also, it's all about changing the narrative. You know, a lot of times when you think about the city, Troy, you think about its downtown locations, and sometimes you leave out the community. You know, a lot of times people don't feel safe or what media sometimes may portray on the news about the inner city neighborhood. We wanted to change that narrative. We want to change what people think about the people in the community. And we want to change the narrative that there is good there. So that's one good thing. Great thing we love about what we do is changing the narrative. Of what most people think about inner city neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, we at Everwinding Circles, we talk a lot about the stories we are telling ourselves. It's like we, we aren't able to, to recognize the gap in our knowledge and then we just fill it in with stories. And <laughs> most of the time they're just wrong. Do you have a good example of of um, somebody who you feel like you've you've brought along? You don't have to name names, but are there besides children? Have you have you had an experience with volunteers or adults or local residents that you thought that you thought might be hard pressed, and then they just sort of fell in love with your project?
2: Yeah, I think me I think starting with just family and friends, ah. like they, you know we didn't grow up in the bee conservation world or learning about bees or being outdoors with nature. So a lot of people thought we were crazy. A lot of people really couldn't put two and two together. And with that, they had the same old fears like many others about bees and wasps and, and whatnot. So I think starting with home, starting with the people that know, and you know, that knew us all our lives.
0: Yes, that is so true. And that's so true. And you know, that's another part of the, the, this this thing that we call the conspiracy of goodness this wave of progress and goodness that's going on in the world is that you know it's sort of up to us all to activate each other's dreams like i'm sure you accepted the fact that people weren't going to fall in love with bees in your family and friend circles like you did but you probably had a few that gave you just the right encouragement at the right time right
2: absolutely
3: absolutely
2: but from there of course you have family, friends, you you have co-workers, you have my fraternity brothers and Nicole sorority sisters. You also have, even in local businesses, whether it's in culinary arts, learning about the the difference in the taste of honey or how honey has such a unique flavor or learning about gardening. So people that want to grow their own food, it touches their lives as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And food brings us all together. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it totally does. So tell me, and you know, then you 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 brought something up that I'm sure is part of the equation that we should at least touch on so people know it, it exists or you can start it. I, I live in rural Vermont, so I never knew what a block club was. Tell mm-hmm. us how this, what you're doing relates to block clubs and, and so forth.
2: Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, and this is block clubs are, Pretty much a block club. You have a block on your neighborhood or your community and it's comprised of families or people that have been on this community for several years. So the block club pretty much is like a way to sustain your community with ideas, with projects, with things that you want to see change or things that you want to address to better your community and do time with some neighborhoods. Uh, some block clubs may not be active and some are in, you know, active or inactive. But what's great about the block club, it works just like a hive or it works just like a nonprofit organization. We speak for the community and the environment. There's things that are, there's so many vacant lots in some of these communities that some of the neighbors, um, their hands have been thrown up in the air. They don't really know what to do with these vacant lots. They have no idea. They don't have no suggestions, but we work, we love working with community residents and creating green spaces in places of these vacant lots to help address some of the issues they're having, issues around blight, issues around crime or just issues with having a safe place for children to learn outdoors.
0: Mm-hmm. So your, your organization can probably, if they're wanting to partner with you in some way, your organization can probably help people navigate like the red tape bureaucracy kind of thing because you've done it over and over again, right? Absolutely.
2: I guess mm-hmm. you would say we, we do consider ourselves environmental consultants. We've also mm-hmm. been able to create a successful model in other cities like Kansas City, Missouri, where we help. Dr. Miriam Pearson launched KC Hives as well, and it's a model after uh, Detroit Hives. And it's a similar issue with trying to work to combat vacant lots and food insecurity, but also find ways to get more people of color into environmental sustainable practices as well. So, you know, as environmental consultants, we definitely, you know, work with others, but also look to partner with other communities to expand our business model in other cities.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something that people can be multipliers for. Tell me, as we kind of wrap up, tell me if I think it bears thinking about whether the pandemic has been a net positive or a net negative for you. I know in I I know in our family it started out pretty pretty low, but now that it's gone on for a while, gosh. We've done some really important things and and made changes that we wouldn't have done otherwise, so tell me how it what's the net impact of the pandemic on Detroit hives and where you think you might be able to go because of it
2: right so you know we try not to focus too much on the negative but try to focus on the change that we want to see out there so immediately, there have been so many people you know suffering from covid and there's so much going on that we found a way to Support not only our pollinators and bees, but also people in our planet. And one thing we, we were successfully able to do is deliver over 300 Be Well care packages to our local heroes, our frontline responders, and healthcare workers. This uh, Be Well care package consisted of protective uh, face masks and, and, san- and, and, um, protective gloves and hand sanitizer. But also we sweetened things up with a jar of our local raw honey. And what's great about honey in this particular pandemic is that it's great for your immune system and it helps to treat or to aid a cough. But we also were able to work with local businesses to provide a meal. So a lot of times people may not have a meal, they may not know where their next meal is coming from. So to, to be able to provide these Be Well care packages to over 300 residents, in underserved communities, it feels good to give back to not only our partners but also our community as well. Wow,
3: that so, so- and also helped with local businesses. So the the business that we partnered up with the local meals and also the handmade masks. Yeah.
2: but outside of the Be Well Care packages, we have we had to get creative and go uh, virtual. So you know, even though you know a lot of our tours. A lot of our fundraisers were canceled. We were able to still educate our community, do virtual programs and, and online activities. We created cool, educational, engaging workshops and activities for students to download on our website. We hosted numerous of virtual educational workshops for children to learn about how they can save the bees from their own home and also ways they can earn their, their conservation certificate as well.
0: Wow. So, <laughs> and you know, just like us, there's some of these things you may may have put on the back burner had it not been the pandemic.
2: Absolutely. And
0: you also, Yeah. So you also mentioned, you know, that your environment, because everything stopped there for a couple of months, the environment got to take a break. And I'm sure that was, that was something that you, you saw actually was, um, was a was a thing huh give it give me a signal that you knew hey the environment's taking a break and here's what's happened because of it
2: right Mm -hmm. oh oh no so with the stay on shelter you know uh, everyone was inside you know no one was mowing a lawn um you started to see a lot of dandelions and clover sprout out no one were driving cars it was very few people that was going outside so there have been studies that said that the environment has taken a break from carbon emissions, from factories um, temporarily shutting down, and that there's, a, there's been an increase in insect population. That supports biodiversity, and of course, that definitely supports what we do in our mission with supporting education and conservation of pollinators. So whenever you don't see companies out spraying lawns or mowing lawns or there's very little noise pollution or light pollution, Because most people are in their homes and they're not out driving outside or running large factories, it gave the environment a break.
0: And you mentioned that you saw you noticed young people who were, you know, diving into their virtual lives for the first two or three months. After that, they're looking for ways to get out.
2: Yeah, so you know, what I've noticed is that there's been a lot of students or young adults that spend so much time now through Zoom conferences or spend so much time in school sitting down in front of a computer that I'm noticing that they now want to put those phones down, those tablets down. They want to meet their friends. They miss their friends and they want to go outside more versus like, let's say a year ago, there were so many people raving about tablets and iPhones and apps that you're now starting to see the, the, the next generation wanting to put those things down or give it a break. Which is quite refreshing,
3: yeah, and then also with the pandemic at the beginning of the school year, a lot of schools were taking the time to actually do outdoor learning, yeah it's it, these are really
0: meaningful and impactful things that will stick with kids for the for their lives, the things they learned. I love that you pointed us to that, so so to wrap up, tell me where everybody can access all that you're doing. You even have an online store, which I'm sure is super good, that people this time of year can help support by ordering things from you. Tell us tell us where people can really connect with you. Yeah,
2: so we welcome everyone to, to join the Hive. Uh, visit our website at www.detroithives.org. And also follow us on social media at Detroit Hives. We appreciate emotional currency, like a page, share some of our upcoming events and tell others about the buzz that we're creating in Detroit.
0: (laughs) I love that. That is emotional currency, isn't it? All the likes and shares and comments. That is Absolutely. such a great way to put it. Okay, so to wrap up, I always like to ask my guests a simple question, but that has often can make other people's hearts soar. Our uh, ever widening circles. Our byline after that is it is still an amazing world. So, what proves to you guys that it is still an amazing world? Hmm. We're
2: still, well, here. We're still know, here. We're still here.
0: You're still here. That is so true, right? You you got up the courage. You went through gosh knows what to get this thing off the ground. And three years later, at the heart of a pandemic, you're still here.
2: And I was, I think, I was referring to something more broader. Mm-hmm. Like you oh. go outside, you know, the grass, the sun is still shining. You know, the, you know, there's life that's still here. It's beyond what myself or beyond our nonprofit. But I'm just referring to that the earth in itself, you know, despite all that it has went through, despite all the chemicals and then despite everything that's happened on this earth, it's still here. It's still thriving. It's still growing through that sidewalk, the cracks, that flower, that dandelion, that, that wildflower is still growing despite what's been going on. And we're still here. We're still on earth and people are still thriving.
0: That is beautiful. That is such a great note to go out on. Well, thank you so, so much. Check out Detroit Hives. They are special people who have found a way to make the world a better place in an extraordinary brave and ingenious way. And I think it's something that we're all capable of in our own niche. So thank you guys for chatting with us for more information about their work or any of the subjects that we mentioned. Just check out the show notes in the links below. And as always, dive into the Ever Widening Circles universe by visiting us at ewc.co. If there's students in your life, turn them on um, and turn them loose to the ewced.com website because there is a great place that will continue this conversation about wonder and learning about the wider world. My book recently called Happiness is an Option is such a great thing to land on these days when things are getting more and more complex every day in the news and there seems to be a lot to be worried about. But in happiness is an option, I'm gonna share with you four shifts that you can make in the way you use the internet, very simple. And you will see a world of people like these two with Detroit hives popping up everywhere. Thousands of innovators are doing incredible things like Nicole and Tim, and we need to discover them and lift them to the top of the internet. I hope all these connections to goodness and progress will carry through your week and you start finding the joy and wonder we've been talking about here. Thanks so much. Have a good week.